Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the financial and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, Deb Reeder, RVT, VTS, EVN, talks about using equine vet techs fully. I'm Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Reader is the AAEVT, and for those of you who are catching acronyms on the fly, that's the American Association of Equine Veterinary Technicians and Associates. She is the executive director. She's been a registered veterinary technician since 1983 and a veterinary technician specialist in equine veterinary nursing since 2009. She's worked with referral practices and in practice management as well as working with state veterinary boards on industry regulations. Thank you, Deb, for joining us today to talk about using your equine vet techs fully. Thank you, Kim, and uh, thank you all for tuning in. Um, This is, of course, a very passionate um, conversation for me, uh, and I feel right now it's extremely timely in uh, our industry to continue this dialogue. Well, and and talking about important, in my opinion, I think veterinarians hiring or better better utilizing a vet tech or assistant is going to be the key to whether they stay in practice in the next five years and are healthy and happy and profitable because it is just so hard to keep up today. So, Let's go back and talk about now we're talking about credentialed veterinary technicians. So why are they so important to a veterinarian, an equine veterinarian? So the credentialed veterinary technician has actually taken an additional step in their career. They've gone on to go through a college program, which is at least two years, and they've studied core competencies, which are very much the same as what a veterinarian would do in their veterinary uh, college career. However, it is, you know, definitely, you know, not as in depth, but our core competencies that we study are pharmacy and pharmacology. And this includes any regulations that are applicable, surgical nursing and assistance in surgery, dentistry, laboratory procedures, animal care and nursing for all breeds, diagnostic imaging, anesthesia, emergency medicine and critical care and pain management analgesia. And they, you know, they have, they've committed themselves to this profession. So it's cost them money. It's cost them time. It's, you know, additional education on their behalf. They've also had to sit for state boards and national board, and they have to continue to have continuing education credits per their state regulations every single year. So they're they're constantly learning more, um, figuring out, you know, what you are doing as veterinarians and they want to be that that partner with you. So they're learning as much as you are alongside. Well, that's amazing. Give me a few examples. And again, we're talking to a veterinary vet student, vet tech audience here. I recognize that. But what are things that vet techs, right, licensed 
vet techs are trained to do. Well, any of this, they can perform diagnostic imaging, for instance. Um, they can put in IV catheters. They can um, administer treatments, uh, you know, bandage changing, um, you know, even simple things as, you know, doing a pre-examination, you know, a TPR on a horse before, you know, surgery or anesthesia and always communicating this with the veterinarian. We never operate independently. We are always operating with and for and by the side of the veterinarian. And so those are just a few examples. Um, you know, uh, of course, anesthesia, you know, induction, monitoring, recovery, surgical assistance um, in your lab, running all of your laboratory um, procedures. They can even draw, you know, depending on your state again, but they can draw the specific um, blood or, you know, fluid samples or whatever those samples are and run those and again, report back to you. They can be your ICU, um, you know, technicians. Um, they can help you uh, assess with a client. Is this an emergency or not? You know, utilizing them through telecare can help, you know, alleviate some of that constant communication. I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, I see so much stress in our industry right now. And, again, and of course, it's obviously very much focused on the veterinarian. But to me, the burden of trying to provide veterinary care all by yourself, that's that's just, wow. Why would you sign up for that? <laughs> yeah, it is tough, especially with so much demand right now. And, the you know, it's just so hard to find any help. Well, I want to back up a little bit now. and. Tell me what the difference is between a registered veterinary technician, an RVT, a licensed veterinary technician or an LVT, and a veterinary technician specialist or a VTS. So this is a challenge in our you know, specific profession right now is across these 52 states, every state has uh, decided on what they will call a credentialed veterinary technician in their state, according to their laws. And there are four of them, registered veterinary technician, certified veterinary technician, licensed veterinary technician, and in the state of Tennessee, it's animal healthcare tech, or um, AVMT. So there are several um, acronyms, if you will, there per state. The VTS, there are 16 of those that are recognized nationally through the, the National Association of Veterinary Technicians, NAVTA, and the AVMA. And those are um, extended uh, areas where you have to prove uh, that you have higher levels of proficiency. You have to submit case studies. It's a very intensive process, takes at least two years. You have to have at least 5,000 hours under your belt as a credentialed veterinary technician. And each of these specialties, there's dentistry, there's critical care, there's diagnostic imaging, there's equine, there's feline. Um, they are all specialized and they try and follow the same specialty colleges that veterinarians have. Of course, an equine, 
we're across the map. But um, and that's why we chose to create the the veterinary technician specialty in equine veterinary nursing. So it is an elevated specialty that is recognized. And um, these people have gone above and beyond and, and their requirements each year are higher as well. And they are, you know, there's not enough of them yet, especially in the equine world, because I, I just don't think enough equine veterinarians understand what they've gone through and, and how to utilize them in their practice. Yeah, I can I can understand that. And I know that you touched on state practice acts. And I know that I'll, it's different in every state. I mean, yeah, there's some similarities from one state to another. But I know that with state practice acts, they tell veterinarians what their technicians can do. So give us a little background. And, and I know you've worked you know, on some of these states and helping them with regulations. So tell us a little bit about state practice acts and how they differ. I think that is the biggest um, kind of challenge for the, the veterinarian, you know, here right now. I've been working with some other association and boards on um, this whole utilization of the veterinary technician and what's really come out of some of these studies is, you know, there is a huge fear out there on behalf of the veterinarian. And I'm going to call it of the unknown, because if you don't know what's allowed in your state through the rules and regulations or practice act, you're going to be very hesitant to turn over a task to a veterinary technician. You've got a fear of possibly using, losing your license or being brought before a state board. You have a fear of client perception. You know, why is this other person doing this? Or a fear of lack of control. I mean, in you know, it's <laughs> equine veterinarians. We are, you know, you are a very independent, I can do this um, personality. And, and that's awesome and amazing. And so it's, it's this fear of the unknown. And each practice, each state has their own individual practice acts and rules and regulations. The one thing that most states that even address utilizing um, a veterinary technician is levels of supervision. So there's indirect veterinary supervision where you don't actually have to be in the room standing over the technician. And in the case for like equine, in some states, you can even do the direction via the telephone. There is direct veterinary supervision where you usually have to be in the room very present or immediately available. So in equine, that's, you know, sometimes very difficult. You can't be off in barn C and something's happening over in barn A. And then um, there is also the prohibited acts. So credential veterinary technicians or even non-certified technicians may not do the following. And I'm gonna say this is pretty much across the board in all states. We cannot perform surgery. We cannot diagnose, we cannot prognose, and we cannot prescribe, which that includes treatments, medications, or appliances. And oftentimes, most of the time, we can't attest to health status. However, like an example in Pennsylvania of indirect veterinary supervision, a certified credentialed veterinary technician may do the following, perform diagnostic imaging, put in an IV catheter, administer immunizations that 
are allowed by law, administer and apply medications and treatments, including IM, IV, and sub-Q, apply bandages, perform cardiac monitoring, perform appropriate procedures to control bleeding, apply splints, perform um, electronic, you know, they can implant an electronic identification device. And like under direct supervision, it's administering anesthesia, performing any dental work, establishing an open airway, administering resuscitative oxygen, um, external cardiac resuscitation, and um, even using an uh, administering resuscitative drugs if needed. So those are just some examples. The other big picture to all of this, which is very difficult sometimes for us in the equine world, is most of these rules and regulations and state laws are driven by small animal. And that is something I think the equine industry really needs to pay attention to. For example, in the state of Virginia, it got passed that only a credentialed veterinary technician can put in an IV catheter. That is not very conducive to the equine practice. Um, and assistants, there's assistants out there who have, you know, have great skill sets and have chosen not to do the credentialed, you know, route for various reasons. And the equine industry uses them. We just have to be very aware of what legally they can and can't do. And, you know, that is also, you know, your call as a veterinarian. If you feel very confident in the skill of that individual, you know, most states allow you to direct them to do as you want or need. Yeah. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. I know that there have been a lot of studies that have shown, and this is large animal, small animal, I've seen it from AVMA, that employing and properly utilizing a vet, a licensed vet tech can increase your income if you're a veterinarian. So how? what do you know about that? Well, it's just... Another set of eyes, another set of ears, another set of hands. Um, you know, it's 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 your it's your partner in doing like this, doing all of this. And again, you know, trying to do all of this as one sole person is I think that's just we're you know, we're asking too much of individuals now and especially as, you know, We've seen with the changes in the industry here in the last few years. Um, however, you know, having this other person can change and increase your workflow. Um, they uh, they allow you to like if you're having a, a consult, you know, with a client, they can continue that conversation, and oftentimes they can you know help explain it in more layman's terms to the client. So they, you know, they understand it. We've seen over and over again, where clients are much more uh, receptive to talking to a, a veterinary technician 
sometimes versus the veterinarian, because, you know, that's oftentimes who they're talking to while the veterinarian is, you know, doing the procedure. They can also update clients uh, regarding patient progress. They're not diagnosing, prescribing. They're just talking and finding out, you know, how is the, the patient doing? Or they're giving an update on the patient in the hospital. And so that frees up the veterinarian's time. One thing that's just been hugely successful in small animal that I think equine needs to take a closer look at is having technician appointments. And there are practices out there that are doing this and it's been just incredibly successful for them. And you can charge for that. You can charge for a technician appointment. If you have a technician you know, running anesthesia and that appears on your invoice, you can charge for that. You know, uh, surgical assistants, if they're running imaging, you know, if they're doing telecare appointments or, you know, band, running out and doing a bandage change, all those things you can build into, you know, your, um, your charging, you know, software or however you're making this work and charge for the, those extra set of hands and ears and eyes and, and a, a method of communication with you and back to you. Um, and more often than not, that extra person, you know, pays for themselves, you know, plus they can help you, um, increase an income center and more times than not veterinary technicians want to contribute. They, they really want to be, um, a part of the growth of the practice and they, they take pride in when they're able to increase an income center or when they're able to you know, start checking medical records and catch missed charges and go, look, look what I've been able to find. And, um, you know, there's places for them to be rewarded for, for doing all that as well. Um, they can, in any of these core competency areas, you can turn those skills and tasks over to a veterinary technician. Veterinarians should not be doing fecals. For the most part, they shouldn't be doing bandage changes. They shouldn't be doing imaging. You know, most of the time, diagnostic or at least um, digital radiography uh, many times is done by the veterinary technician, you know, crew. And more often than not now, they're also, you know, able to help you out with ultrasound. So there's, there's areas where they can take away some of these tasks which allows the veterinarian to be able to practice at the top of their license. And this also allows the veterinary technician to be able to practice at the top of theirs. They're being fully utilized, you know, with all those skill sets that they've, you know, they went to school to learn and they came out and they want to learn more. And, you know, in many areas where, you know, now we're seeing a reduction in interns you know, being available, that credentialed veterinary technician can easily step into that space. That's a very good point. But you mentioned that it's hard to find interns and even associate veterinarians in equine right now. I'm also understanding from a lot of folks in the industry that it's hard to find and hire licensed veterinary technicians or even assistants, but especially licensed technicians. So, you know, why are they so hard to find and, and why are they leaving equine vet practice? 
I think it's twofold. Um, the first that everyone is probably very much aware of is the rate of pay in our profession, and especially in the equine world. Um, you know, seven to ten dollars an hour for a full-time employee who is handling multi-million-dollar horses is a just—I mean—that just doesn't compute. And especially, you know, for someone who has dedicated themselves to going to school, to learn, to continuing education, to leadership and mentorship. So many practices, your credential veterinary technicians or your, you know, your technicians in general are the ones that are actually helping train the interns and the new hires when they come into a practice. And then when you turn around and leave work, and you drive down and see that McDonald's is hiring for $15 an hour to yeah. flip hamburgers. That is just, it's a slap in the face. And I think the lack of respect that is being given to um, this vital component to the veterinary team is hurting our industry. And I think a lot of them who have um, been in this realm for a while are just really getting tired of it. Um, and they're, you know, some of them are being snatched up by universities who are able to pay 20 and $25 an hour full benefits. And they utilize the technicians. They're able to get in there and continue to use their skill sets. And um, I just, I think, you know, there's burnout. There's burnout on not being utilized, not being respected, not being treated as a member of the team. And, um, you know, being given that opportunity to, you know, increase their skill in a particular area, say anesthesia or imaging or, um, you know, even telecare, um, you know, having some freedom to, you know, help contribute to the practice. I think there's just a lot of burnout there and they're just getting tired and, and going on and finding, you know, another, another career, some, you know, it's a myriad of places. And I hear over and over too, that, you know, veterinarians, I, I don't even know if they're aware, but so many technicians in order to make it, in order to be able to show up at your practice and, you know, continue to work are also holding down another job. They can't do it. You know, you look at maybe they're not even making 30,000 a year. You know, how do they fix their car? Um, how do they ever buy a house? These are not individuals who are, you know, relying on a, a spouse to support them all the time. They're actually, you know, taking care of themselves and it's very hard for them, you know, to um, be able to say, sustain a lifestyle that, you know, is sustainable future for them. So I think that's something to, to take in mind. I think, you know, we assume so often, and I, I just really encourage veterinarians to, yes, we are racing a hundred miles an hour right now. And I, you know, I just, I, I want to kind of call a halt here before all the horses fall off the cliff. Let's let's come back and assess and talk to our practices and our and our our staff and you know find out what is what's really you know juicing you here in this practice. What do you want to learn more about? What do you enjoy doing? What are we doing well? And where is there a gap? 
you know, where is there a missing? Can we fill it? And, um, you know, and also, you know, being an attractive practice for a technician to want to work at. You know, that's part of, you know, another piece of this. But, um, you know, is if you're there's stress and drama in your staff, believe me, that word is getting out there on the street. Um, if, you know, there's long work hours there, no benefits, you know, they're on call all the time, every single weekend, they don't get compensated for that. Um, you know, and if there is a reputation for upset clients, you know, from that practice, that's not a, a culture, you know, a, a technician who is really wanting to advance their career wants to step into. Yeah. So let's say that you are, you're like, I need help. It doesn't matter if you're multi-vet practice or a solo practitioner looking for your first help. What are some tips that you can do as a veterinarian to try and find that right technician to expand what you're able to do as a veterinarian? Well, the AVT does have a, a career um, a center, which we're actually um, in the process of kind of revamping and um, working to be uh, a little more in depth, you know, be able to gather um, more data and information and, you know, applicants um, and hopefully also be able to work with the AEP so that when we know AEP members are looking for staff, we can try and, you know, help uh, source that. And I think, um, again, it is, you know, looking at your, your own culture. Um, you know, so many times I've been, you know, I look at a lot of these job postings that come across to the AVT. And one of the biggest missings um, in a job opportunity post is you have to post your pay range. You just, you have to, and that right now, I, I mean, a few years ago, I was telling veterinarians, if you find, if you have good staff, you want good staff, you want someone to stay there, you want someone who's dedicated and has some training, you have to pay them at least 18 to $20 an hour. Well, that's now gone up to almost 25. And that's, I mean, you know, for someone who's skilled, who has gone through a college program for this industry, for this profession, that's not asking too much. And, you know, you have to also share, you know, what's unique about your practice, whether it's about, you know, how your staff works together, um, some unique services that you offer, you know, and, and I would also encourage, you know, you to share how you utilize your staff. You know, what does your staff get to do in that practice? Um, the benefits, of course, are always important. And they should always include continuing education. You know, nowadays to offer $200 to a veterinary technician to go for the year for their continuing education does not cover it. Um, you know, everything has gone up and they can't afford to go and, you know, pay for all of this oftentimes by themselves. And in return, you should ask them to come back and help train your staff on what they've learned or share. Um, you know, another area is, you know, we're looking for someone with an area of expertise, say anesthesia or imaging or even client communications, client education. 
you know, let someone know a little bit about the area, the community, the clientele that you serve. And another key part of this is your website better reflect this. Um, because, you know, now they're going to look, they've got social media, there's all kinds of ways to, you know, check on what this practice actually looks like and, you know, see reviews and, and all of that. So, you know, be very conscientious of, you know, being an attractive place to work. Would you work there? I guess you do if you own the practice, but I mean, if you're looking, you know, would you want to work there? So is there anything else that you can suggest as far as just better utilizing licensed vet techs in the equine practice? I think we just need to get back to a team approach to offering, you know, the highest standard of care possible and relying just on, you know, one person and one set of hands and one eyes and, you know, one set of eyes and ears. Um, that's putting, I think, our industry and it's shown we are in overwhelm and, um, you know, burdened and stressed out. And those aren't the best places to be when you're trying to offer the highest standard of care for the animal. I think it's um, it's just taking a moment to step back and, and talk with your team. And again, you know, encourage them and empower them to step into areas, you know, be brave, be that leader that says, you know, what am I doing that you all can do? And there's, you know, there might be some areas that they, you know, they say, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Great. You know, do you want to teach them or, okay, I'll keep doing that for now. But I, I just think it's having a communication with your staff. This is a team approach. Um, you know, if you're a one doctor practice, have nobody else working with you except you and your truck. Okay. God bless you. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I just think if it's a one, two, three person team or a 25, 30, 40 person team, just stopping and reassessing, you know, where are you going and, you know, why are we having trouble attracting people to our practice and, where all can you guys, you know, um, help fill in some of these gaps and trusting your staff um, that they can that they can do this. And again, you have to make that assessment, you know, um, just someone saying, oh, yeah, you know, no problem. I can, you know, change that cast and put on that bandage. Well, well, let's watch you do it first once and maybe with some guidelines here. But. Um, I think just, you know, finding those areas that are their tasks that veterinarians don't need to do. If it doesn't involve diagnosing, prescribing and doing surgery, take a look at that. Um, you know, talking on the phone to clients and checking back on cases and, you know, updating, um, you know, all of that. Technicians are more than willing to step into that role, too. You know, so, you know, also your inventory control, helping 
you know, tasking them with, hey, is there a place where we can cut back on expenses here? Um, you know, do an assessment of the practice. Ask a technician to do an assessment of your workflow. They know it probably better than you do. Um, just, you know, ask them. They love to be asked. They want to be involved. They want to contribute. And the less that they are able to do so, the quicker they're going to leave. Well, and that's that's probably a good point to stop on because we could probably talk about this all day. But I think that the end of this is that vets are, are overwhelmed. They're stressed. They have more demand for services than they can supply themselves. And again, it doesn't matter if you're one vet or a whole practice of vets. I mean, I believe in small animal, their average is two technicians for every one veterinarian in a practice. Yes. If I remember the AVMA uh, survey that they did. And we have so many veterinarians that don't have any or have one that are shared among veterinarians. And that's, that is really not being efficient in your practice. Right. And I, I mean, I also want to add, you know, as you know, a veterinarian, whether you own a practice or you're working in a practice, find out what your state law is in your practice act regarding veterinary technicians and assistants and these levels of supervision, because they do vary. Educate yourself so that you have an idea or task one of your technicians to look that up for you. I will say this, that the AVT is working right now on a document that will be kind of a quick resource by each state, levels of supervision, and just basically what a, a credential veterinary technician can do in that state versus an assistant, if it's even outlined. In many states, it's not outlined. So we are trying to work on that resource for you know all of you to have because we know it takes time to sometimes look all that up. And then, you know, again, try and help you understand what these core competencies are and give you some ideas on what are the different tasks that, you know, veterinary technicians can do in, in your practice. Um, but I, you know, I encourage everyone to just get educated so that you can better um, take care of your practice and your, and your, your clients and your patients. And that's a, a good note to stop on here today. So thank you, Deb, for joining us today. And thank our listeners for joining us on the Business of Practice. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit, for allowing us to have these important discussions so that, that we can all hear more about this. And we invite you to visit equimanagement.com. We write an article that goes with each of these podcasts. And you can listen to these podcasts on your any of your favorite uh, podcast network, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or you can find them on the article pages on equimanagement.com. Go back and listen to some of the past ones, too. We have had some really great ones this year and, and hope that you didn't miss many of them. But if you have, you can always go back and listen. So thank you very much for joining us. And we want to let you know that the Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, which is an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. Mm -hmm.